Well, you know, I think it's a shame when we can watch two and two and a half hour and three hour movies and the like and we can't sit for an hour and a half for the preaching of the Word. We need that Word. And that's all right as long as the dear Lord is on it and is using it and moving and helping His people. And, uh, but I, I'll have to admit that I know what it is to, it's a whole lot easier to get up here and scream and holler than it is to sit down there and be quiet and be still. And I understand that. And, uh, there've been some times I've heard men preaching and I'd say, I'd be glad when he's done. And, uh, there've been times that I've heard him preaching and I think, I hope he don't ever get done. Keep preaching, brother. And that's, uh, the other is when there's not much truth being correctly expounded. That's the part that I see I'll be glad when they get done. But I'm grateful for Brother Barney and, and Brother Ronnie and their coming to fill in and help me during these times. And I did listen to them uh, also on the Facebook and was greatly, greatly, greatly blessed with both of them. And I appreciate it so much. This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me back into Exodus chapter 21, please. Exodus chapter 21. We're trying to get a panoramic view of chapter 21, 22, and 23. And there are different ways, I think, that God would have us to approach scriptures at times in our preaching. One thing we understand, we all have to understand that no matter how long that we do preach in one particular section of Scripture, we don't ever get through. Uh, Preaching Scripture or studying Scripture, it's kind of like looking at a train. And uh, there are many cars that may be hooked onto that train, and you you never get through with all of it. There's no such thing as getting through with the Scriptures. How many times have we come back to the same passage of Scripture and found out that there's something else there. There's more there. That's the way it always is. The Bible is not like just any other book. It's it's obvious when you begin to read the Scriptures that you're reading something particular, something special, something unlike anything else. And of course the reason for that is because the ultimate author of the Scriptures is the Holy Ghost. And he is the, not only is he, is he the author of the Scriptures, but he is the revealer of truth. We keep saying these things because we need to understand that this is the way that we learn as God's people, uh, learn from the Scriptures. But it's a special book with a special message, and it is all written to people who have been born again, people who have been enlightened. And for everybody else, they read it. The best that any any lost person can get out of it may be some particular adventure, something that stirs up the adventurous side of human beings. And uh, but they cannot get anything that can help them spiritually, because it is spiritually discerned. And the Holy Ghost is the one who enlightens, opens our eyes, gives us understanding, and we can cannot even grasp the spiritual meaning of John 3.16 without the Holy Ghost being our teacher and our guide. 
Jesus told us that the Holy Ghost will guide us into all truth. And so he said, you need not a man to, to teach you. What he meant, he didn't mean by that that God don't use human instruments. He meant by that that there is no man that can cause you to see with understanding. The best we can do is expound the Scriptures, and but no preacher can open a sinner's eyes, an unconverted person's eyes. The Holy Ghost has to do that. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Well, let me get into it. I, I wasn't here last Sunday, and so that means i got to say some things again. And preachers repeat things on purpose. And sometimes we repeat things not necessarily on purpose because we purpose to do so, but because God has purposed it. Because repetition is extremely important if we're going to learn. We need to keep hitting the same nail on the head, as we often say. And then once you get it driven through, go around on the other side and bend it over so it won't come back out. And so we're going to look at some things and hopefully, if it's God's will, briefly mention some things again and then move on. But we're looking at a panoramic view of chapters 21, 22, and 23. And so that means that we're not going to necessarily cover it in detail. But I am going to show you what those chapters are about as God enables me to do so. I'm calling this chapter, this set, or these chapters in this section of Scripture, Why Such Laws? Why Such Grace? Chapters 21 through 23. Why such laws? What is the necessity of them? Why God to the, God go to the extremes that it seems like, maybe especially to the natural man that He would go to? Why is it so important to cover such things? Well, in chapter 21, 20, we don't have any problem with chapter 20, especially those of us who know the Lord. We understand He gives the Ten Commandments there. In Exodus chapter 20. And we can look, we can look at all ten of them to this very day. This is the moral law. And we can understand why God would put such commandments in the scriptures. Because the breaking of all ten of these commandments is causing the problems, the havoc, the catastrophic, catastrophic events in this world today because it is a world made up with depraved Sinners, wicked, ungodly sinners. Some of them seem to be more monsters than uh, just an ordinary human being. It's amazing what some of them can get into and what, the, what laws they can break and what criminals they can become. And it's obvious, it's very obvious for that many people just seems like they have completely seared their conscience. They, it's like they don't have a conscience anymore. They can do the worst possible uh, sin and crimes with a grin, a smile on their face. And they don't lose any sleep at night uh, over, over some of the things that we read about in the newspaper and hear about on the, the news and uh, even see our own selves. 
And we see some of this kind of activity coming up in our own families. We have family members that are involved in such things. And it's very disturbing. That, that's when it really hits home. And uh, it's, it's hard to watch that. And if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, we who profess to be believers in Christ and believers in the laws of God, the moral law of God, we may do the wrong thing when it hits home and begin to make excuses for them. And God don't want anybody making excuses for anybody else's sins. We can't do that. And if, if, if they have a conscience, then that conscience will be troubled unless that conscience has become seared. First uh, Timothy uh, 4 and verse 2, verses 1 and 2 said, The Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, having, uh, having given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, that is, with a branding iron. And, and, and what does it do? It, it, it's, uh, I've tried to give the illustration before. It's like when you get calluses on your hands and on your fingers for working so hard, out doing uh, farmer's work or um, working on machines or like uh, the carpenters, they, they build up calluses on their hands. And uh, they can actually at times get cuts in those calluses and not even know that they've been cut until they're bleeding or whatever. And uh, a person who plays a guitar builds up calluses on the fingers pressing those, those strings. And if you, if you don't build your calluses up, then it hurts to play the guitar. It hurts very much to play uh, the stringed instrument. And uh, But when you get those calluses, you can't even tell it as hard as you press on the string to get as true a tone as you possibly can. Now, you hadn't got to look far in our day and hour to see that there are many people who do wrong and don't feel at all bad about it. I mean, they can do the worst things and never feel an ounce of guilt. They are psychopathic. And uh, is that what they call them, Brother Todd? Psychopaths? Uh, when they don't, don't feel any guilt and do some of the worst things. And they don't even have to kill people for money. They don't have to kill them uh, because they're angry with them. They can just kill them for the fun of it. And uh, unfortunately, we've got people like that even in the field of religion today. And these false prophets, they don't feel any shame, any guilt over preaching lies and spreading lies and poisoning the truth by making it untruth by their, their doctrines of lies and devils. And so this is, this is where we are. This is what we're up against. And so, why such lies? Why such grace? Let's read the first six verses of chapter 21 again. Now, these are the judgments. That is, these are the laws of justice, which thou shalt set before them. And in verse number 2, he begins with 
the Lord gives Moses laws about serpents. And we read that there. Later, he gives laws in these sections about murders in chapter 21. And personal injury. You keep reading, you come up on that. And liability for harm done by dangerous livestock. When a, a bull gores someone else's bull, or a bull gores an individual, and what is the consequences of that? Especially a bull that has been known to get out of the pen and continues to get out of the pen. And so the master hadn't done anything to make certain that it can't get back uh, out of the pen, and so he's charged with a greater crime when something like that happens. This is covered here in chapter 21. And then in chapter 22, the Lord instructs Moses in laws concerning the loss of property or social injustice and various other sins. And then in that 23rd chapter, the Lord gives laws about justice, kindness, Sabbaths, breaking Sabbaths, the feast, and he closes the book or section of the covenant with a call to covenant faithfulness. And he says, be aware of what it's going to cost you when you break these laws. Be aware of, of, of how offended that the holy God is because he is holy. And know that he will not tolerate indifference to the laws that God had set for the ancient Hebrew people. And he has set laws for us as well. And again I say the moral law, the Ten Commandments are still in force with minor changes with one of those commandments. Thou shalt, uh, where he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we've already covered these things. And so I want you to see here that there, there are laws that God has put into force. He didn't start putting laws in force or giving laws to man in Exodus 20. He started in Genesis 2 when he told Adam and Eve, Of the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Thou shalt not. That's a law that God stated for Adam and Eve. God said, here's something you need to remember. And that is, you are the creature and I am the creator. And since I am the creator, I have sovereign rights over you. And I can limit you. I can draw lines and tell you, don't cross this line. I can put fences around you and say, I have fenced you in and you must not try to get out of the fence. You obey me. You don't set the rules, I set the rules. Adam and Eve deliberately broke those rules. Adam broke it deliberately with his eyes wide open because he knew exactly what God had said not do. Eve broke the law because she was deceived by the serpent. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us these things. She was deceived, Adam was not deceived. And of course, Adam being the head of the house and being the head of the human race, when he went down, we all, including his wife, went down with him. These are not things that are, that we should just say a few times and then forget about and go on. 
These are truths that we need to keep in our mind continually. And understand that as God done exactly with Adam and Eve what He said He would do, in the day you eat thereof you shall surely die, God does exactly the same thing with us. Again, He issues no idle threats. What He says you can take to the bank. He means it. If you do this, you pay the price. So the wages of sin today is death because all have sinned. We sinned in Adam and we have sinned our own sins since the time that we were conceived and brought into this world. And there, there is a price to pay. This is the reason we're so very grateful for Jesus Christ, our blessed Redeemer, who came into this world to pay our sin debt in full, to settle the sin debt and our, our offenses against the Holy God, because He is the only one who could do that. He is the only man who could endure such wrath at that time. He could endure it because He was the God-man. But it was the man, Jesus, who was doing the suffering. It was Jesus of Nazareth that was hanging on that cross. And He was suffering the wrath. It's not, what again, what man and devils did to Jesus that saves us. It is what God Himself did to Jesus that saves us. It pleased the Lord, the Father, the Lord God Jehovah to bruise the Lord Jesus the Son. And He bruised His humanity. He said, uh, he said that, uh, uh, He tells us in Genesis 3.15 when God declared war against mankind and especially upon that, that serpent, and uh, God said that the serpent would bruise the, the Lord Jesus' heel. And Jesus would bruise the serpent's head. And that is, Jesus would crush the head of the serpent. That's the way you kill a snake. He would crush his governmental authority. And he would, he would bring Lucifer down and crush him by what Jesus was doing on the cross. But the serpent would strike the heel of the Lord Jesus, which means he would hit the lower part of his being. Not his divinity, but his humanity. The devil would, or the serpent would crush the heel of Jesus, his human part. And so Jesus experienced the human part, but again it wasn't what Satan did to Jesus that saves us. It's what God the Father did. He smote the Son. He struck Him, and because Jesus was not just man, but the God-man, He was able to endure not only my wrath, the wrath that I deserve, my wife deserved, each one of you deserved, and all the rest of the church of the living God and the saints of God wherever they may have been in Old Testament times, in the tribulation, in the millennial kingdom, He took every bit of that 
those sins upon himself, and these sins would have been suffered throughout eternity. So you put the number of sins that our Savior was bearing together with the length of time, and you understand he was experiencing the full force of the wrath of God so that you and I could be saved from our lives of sin and selfishness and greed and ungodliness. He did this for us, and we praise Him for doing it for us. In the first six verses of chapter number 21, we read there about the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a picture here. Remember, well, I'll wait till I get there. But uh, our Lord Jesus had told his, he had told the Pharisees, the religious crowd of his day, in John five thirty nine, he said, "Search the scriptures," and he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures at that time; it had not been written. He said, "Search the Old Testament scriptures." For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you won't have me, so you don't have eternal life. If you believed in the Old Testament, then you would believe me, Jesus is saying. Because I came here... And all the picture you see in the Old Testament and the words spoken in the Old Testament concerning my coming, and I would come according to Isaiah 52 and 53, and I would hang upon a cross, I would be crucified, you would reject me, and I would, I would experience the wrath of God if, if you had believed the Old Testament, you would have recognized me out on the street because I was on the street doing what the Old Testament prophets said I would be doing. I would be healing the sick. I would be raising the dead. I would be healing the blind, the crippled. I would be getting men out of prison. I would be setting people free by the truth I was preaching. If you would have believed that, then you would have believed in me, and you would have eternal life. But since you didn't believe that, you crucified me, you hated me. You're the very ones who fulfilled the Old Testament predictions that I would be rejected by you and I would be nailed to a cross by you. And then God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And with His stripes, with my stripes, you have been, you are healed. And you are the only, you, I, I'm the only way that you could have ever have been saved. So the Lord Jesus Christ did that. When you read those first six verses, it, they, they tell the story because they tell of a, surf, a, a, a servant who, who came into a home to be the servant. Like the Lord Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, came down into this world and, and every, every verse is telling us of His dissension, His condescension. His coming down in Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And he sat upon the throne of heaven right there with the Father. He was on an equal basis with God. And when Jesus preached that while he was here, they hated him. The religious crowd hated him because they said he, he, called, he, he, he says that he's equal with God. He put himself equal with God, calling himself the Son of God. Well, that's where he was. And that's exactly what he was. And then he came down and he said, and he became a man and he became a servant and he, 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 he even lowered himself to die. And God cannot die. That's why he became a man, so that the man could die. The God part did not die, but the man part did die because the wages of sin is death. And he was the perfect man. He didn't commit sin, but he took the sin of his people upon himself. And he, he acted in our place. And therefore he, he physically died. And he did not die just any death, but he stepped down even further and he died the most wicked, the most horrible, the most base, the most embarrassing death that an individual could die, the death of crucifixion, the death of the cross. And, he, and that's the way it had to be. They tried to assassinate him in other ways, throw him down off of the top of the temple, stone him to death. They tried different ways to kill him, but he must die the basest death that there was, the most humiliating death that there was. Would it be all right for me to take just a moment and say to you, the only garment Jesus came to that cross with was that robe. That seamless robe. And before they nailed him to the cross, they stripped him of that. They took that robe off. And there stood his mother. And the other ladies were, were there with her. And John the Apostle watching all this. And all of the other men and women. And if there were any children, there were children around. And they lifted Jesus up. And he did not have, it wasn't like the pictures you see where there's a little loin cloth there. There was nothing there. And he was humiliated. And you and I, we, we may have had dreams about being out in public and no clothes on and how embarrassing, how humiliating such as that is. But this is where Jesus was willing to come to so that you and I could be saved from all of our sins. He, 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 was, he was so humiliated and it was such an embarrassment but He did it for us. They put vines on it. They, they wrapped cords around His hands when they, when they came to the garden to arrest Him. They put those cords around His hands. But they didn't have to. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He wasn't driven to the slaughter. He fell right in behind them and followed them. And he wasn't going to fight against them. Simon Peter had a sword. He pulled it out to use it. Cut off a man's ear. And the Lord Jesus said, Don't, don't do that. Put away the sword. Don't defend me. Jesus said to Pilate after he began the interrogating work, 
Jesus said, If I had a kingdom here, then my subjects would fight for me. But He said, My kingdom is not of this world. And so I don't want them to fight for me. I've come to do what the Father sent me here to do. And that is for Him to die, to be our Redeemer. It was the Father who gave the Son. It was the Son who gave His life. He laid His life down willingly. And He knew that He was going to die for you and I. And He crossed every T, dotted every I, turned over every stone. He did everything that He came to do in order for you and I to be saved. In this story, in the first six verses, here is a servant. He comes into, a, into the master's house. Why is he there? Well, he's there to pay off a debt. He's going to pay off. There is no perfect type in the Scriptures. Hear me. There is no perfect type in the Scriptures. Every type breaks down somewhere. And so, when we look at this servant in verses 1 through 6, this servant has come in because he owes a debt. He owes a debt that he cannot pay, this particular man in this house. And so he comes here. And uh, this particular servant, he don't, uh, he, his, he don't bring his, he don't have a wife, he don't have any children, he's unmarried. So he comes in alone. And, uh, but then while he's there, his master gives him a wife. His master uh, there's a young lady that the master knows, and he he is he cares about. Uh, evidently, he seems to love this man, this servant. He does well for him. He works like he's supposed to, and for six years he has to work off the debt. When he leaves, when he's able to leave, he he can leave free. He don't have to pay anything else. He's worked it off. That's that was part of the law of Old Testament times. And so, uh, but while he was there, he gets married. He gets the master. The master gives the wife, and the master gives his permission, and he's allowed to marry. And so, and they began to have children. And so now that he has done his work for these six years, and it's on the seventh year, and the law said you got to turn them loose after six years. On the seventh year, they go free. They've been redeemed. They've, they've done the work. And the debt is paid. But now he's got his wife and he's got his children. And the master says, now you can go free. But your wife, according to law, must stay here. And your children must stay here. And he says, well, I don't want to leave my wife. And I don't want to leave my children. I want, I want to... I want to stay here with them. I'll just stay here and I will be, continue to be a servant to you. And he said, he puts it this way. He says, I love my master. And I believe he means that. I love my master. The master has been good to him. He, he's treated him more like family than he has a servant. He says, I love my master. I love my wife. And I love my children, so I don't want to leave. I give up my freedom 
to stay here and to continue to serve my master and to be with my family. So he stays for two reasons. He stays for the master's reason, because he loves his master, and he stays because he loves his family. And then they go through a ritual. And that ritual includes the master taking him before the authorities, the human authorities uh, of the area. And those human authorities make certain that the rules are enforced and the like. And uh, the master says this man was at liberty to leave. He served six years and now he can go. But he has a wife and he has children and, and he cares for me. He just wants to stay with us. And so I just, we're, we're just a perpetual family. That's the way it's going to be. And the papers are signed for that. But then there's something else that is done. The master takes the man in the presence of the officials. He takes this servant over to the door or to the doorpost. And he takes his ear and he puts it up to the door or the doorpost. And he holds it there. And then he takes an awl, a spike-like, uh, more of a maybe a ice pick-like tool. And he holds it up to that ear, the point of that ear, up next to that piece of wood. And he takes the hammer in his hand and he knocks that awl through that ear and it leaves that mark there at the wood of the door. Now what is, what is all of this? Yes, it was something to make a law uh, official. It was like somebody taking the stamp to the paper. It's official. It's been witnessed. It's been signed, as it were, with the mark on the ear. And so now this man is going to stay there with his master. He's going to stay there with his wife and with his children. This is not only something officially done for the day, for the law of the land, but it also had a spiritual meaning. Again, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus said, what we are seeing here, even in these six verses of chapter 21, it is a picture of me and what I have come to do. I was equal with God on that throne, but I came down. And what did I become by coming down and becoming a man? I became a servant. I became a servant. I came here to serve my Father, to do what my Father had called upon me to do. I came to be a redeemer. I came to pay a price. I came to pay uh, a sin debt and to do what needs to be done in order for my people to spend eternity with me. So Jesus Christ came into this world. And what did He come into this world to do? He came to please His Master, to please His Father, to do His Father's will. But that's not all. He had a wife in mind. He had children in mind. He had a family, a household in mind. And God gave Him that through His service there to Him. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, serving the Holy Father, came here to gain those that the Father chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. And those in particular who would be His bride, His wife, Jesus came to give His life for His bride upon that cross and to pay that sin debt. And He said, I don't want to leave. I want to please my Father. I don't want to leave. I want to pray. I want to save my wife. I want to save the children of the wife. All that come to God by Him. And so He stayed there. And He went to that piece of wood, the cross, and the spikes were put in place, and the hammer drove the nails, and fastened the Lord Jesus to the cross, and thank God He did what was necessary for you and I to escape the wrath to come. He bore that wrath for us upon that cross. He did it for the Father, He did it for His bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, His wife, and gave Himself for it. We come to the Old Testament, or the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 25, and we read such statements as that. And it just reminds us that it was spoken of in Old Testament times. I stand amazed at the wonderful mercy and grace of God. I'm amazed at the law. I'm amazed that God would have to give such a law and have to deal with mankind so harshly until I began to study the holiness of God and the necessity of the punishment for sin. There are a lot of things that I don't understand that God does today, and, and, and I cannot grasp why He would do it this way when it seems to me there's an easier way to do it and not such a difficult way to do it until I continue to study and learn something of the ways of God and the works of God, the character of God. His person, the way He thinks, the way He behaves. And and again, as I like to say often, just because something don't make sense to me don't mean it's nonsense. Because what God does, there's perfect sense in it. It's just a matter of knowing God better. Exploring Him and knowing Him better. And you and I as believers spend the entirety of our Christian lives studying Him, learning Him. And yet we find ourselves, even as the great Apostle Paul, nobody has ever had revelations given to him like the Apostle Paul. Simon Peter said Paul wrote about some things that's hard to understand. And that's Simon Peter who knew much about God. But the Apostle Paul, who was trained by a Jew whose name was Gamal, and he was, he was properly trained in Judaism, and, and he, he got it, he understood it as well as he could understand, which was not 
the spiritual side of it that he could grasp. He couldn't grasp that till he was born again. When God quickened him. And then the Holy Ghost took him off into Arabia. Was it three years? Seemed like for three years where the Holy Spirit taught him, the Lord Jesus, he learned at the feet of Jesus himself. He learned about the truth taught in the Old Testament. And he was warned in those, in that silent time, three silent years with Christ. He learned there and he was warned how the Old Testament truth had been taken and twisted by the lost rabbis of the day, the lost Jewish teachers of the day. And they had tried to make it mean things it didn't mean. And not only did they twist the truth, but they also added their own stuff to it and said, this is what it means. And that's the reason in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had to tell them, you have heard it said, this, that, and the other. But I say unto you, he said, they didn't say it right, but I'm going to say it right. And here's what I meant when I wrote that. And he included much of the Ten Commandments in his preaching there. But the people, the Apostle Paul didn't get it till he was enlightened by the Holy Ghost. He had to get it the same way we have to get it. At his salvation, it took the same power to save him that it does to save anybody else. It takes the same power of God to save a child as it does to save an old man who's been around for many years. Same power, the same enlightening by the Holy Ghost. It takes the same amount of the blood of Christ to save one as it does another. But the Apostle Paul, after being saved all those years, after is above 30 years after having what he was taught for those three silent years by the Lord himself as he was corrected by all everything that he had learned in Judaism that was not accurate. And he had all those abundant revelations, even one time being caught up into heaven, into the third heaven, and seeing things that it's not lawful for a man to utter. After going through all of that, listen to me, in Philippians 3 and verse 10, Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Paul, what do you mean that I may know Him? Paul says, I've just scratched the surface. He said, I'm still learning Him. I'm still having Him revealed to me by the Holy Ghost. And friends, that's the way it is for all of us. We won't ever graduate here. You won't get your cap and gown here. It ain't going to happen. You won't get your diploma here. We're studying a subject. The truth of Him is an endless highway. You never reach the end of it. And it's not even running in circles either. It's just a continual long straightaway even to the degree that when we get to heaven, we will still be learning God, throughout eternity learning God, an endless highway. I wish I could become an expert 
of every photograph in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus Christ. I read through the Scriptures and read through them, and I forget so much. I still can't seem to, to just really get it all down pat. And I get so aggravated with myself because my mind will start wandering. And I'll lose something. And I, I and won't pick up on all that I should pick up on in my studies. I'm so weak. And so I keep saying there's no such thing as a Bible expert. Even the greatest of scholars cannot claim to be Bible experts. But I'll tell you, we've just got such a great God. And He has, he has saved us and done such marvelous things in our life, bringing us along in our Christianity, making such a difference in our lives that we can't ever tell it all. We can't ever know it all. But praise God, I'm grateful for what little bit I do know. And now I'm at an age where I'm forgetting so many different things. There are, some, there are scriptures I can't quote that I used to quote all the time. And now if I quote one and get it right, it's just the grace of God. It's God helping me to do it. And I'm not asking for pity. I'm just telling you, I wish I could get it and hang on to it. But that's the reason we have to keep studying. That's the reason we have to keep reading. That's the reason we have to keep searching. And I praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I still couldn't get it told what I want to say. But I feel like I've said all that I should say today. And I thank You that we have such a Savior. And I thank You, Lord, that You paid such a price. And the blood of Jesus Christ is precious. And it is priceless. And it is powerful. And our Father, it was shed for us personally. And we thank You for it. I'm glad I can say Jesus died for me. I'm glad today, Father, I can say Jesus' blood was shed for me. I'm so grateful for what You, you have accomplished. I'm glad that together with my wife we can say Jesus Christ has died for us. And Lord... We're grateful that You've given us the great privilege and high honor of serving You together in our home, having devotions together, praying together, trying to serve You as Your children. We thank You for that. We long for each one of our children and grandchildren to be able to join in together with us in prayer, in praise, in worship, in loving You. Father, I'm not going to take anything for granted. If I see my children or my grandchildren not living for You, I'm not going to take for granted, well, they're saved. They're just backslid. I believe, Lord, that there remains evidence for people who are truly saved. And if the evidence is not there, then nobody can say for certain that they are, though many people do say it anyway. Father, I have children and I have grandchildren that shows no evidence of being saved. And I'm very concerned about them as I realize that we are coming near the end of our stay upon this earth. 
And our Father, I believe if anybody knew when that day was, that Lord, it would stir them to activity. It put the fear of God on them. I believe, Lord, people who are not living with the fear of the Lord in their lives are people who do not really believe in Jesus Christ and do not really believe that you're coming again and do not really believe that there is a heaven or a hell. That's called practical atheism. And Lord, if people are not living it, they're not looking for it. They're not living, realizing if they are not living like Jesus could come any moment, then they're not expecting Him. Father, please help us in these days to face reality. Most people won't do it. Help us to face the truth about our own self. Father, I pray for all of our church people, everyone who attends this church, everyone, Lord, who professes to be saved. I beg you that as the preaching is done, that you would enlighten them, that you will show them. There are many, 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 many people who go to church, people who are members of churches, who are going to go to hell deceived. They will be deceived. They've never been enlightened by the Holy Ghost. I'm not, I'm not saying one person is better than another. Saved people are no better than lost people. Every one of us are sinners who deserve to be in hell. But Lord, some of us, I was, I was a lost church member. I was somebody who claimed to be saved and know God, but I wasn't. I thought I was. I really thought I was until the Holy Ghost enlightened me and began to reveal Scripture and truth and put it all together for me. And then I, I, I was able then to see that I was not saved. There was no evidence in my life I was saved. I did not have a hunger for God. I did not have a heart for you. I hardly ever even thought of you. Oh, Lord, I pray for people like that. I, I can understand. I can, I've been in their place, and I can understand. I pray for them. And any way I could help, I would love to help. But I know the greatest thing need that they have is to be born again, the enlightenment of the Holy Ghost. We love you. We praise you. I thank you for every soul who's here. God bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.